1: Welcome to Administrative Static, and I am not joined this week by Mark Chenoweth, who is away. But uh, fortunately, I have Janine Yunus here to discuss NCLA's recent comments about proposed Title IX uh, regulations. And uh, as some of you may recall, Title IX provides uh, it's a, reg- a regulation uh, statute that provides for uh, equality in the provision of women's sports and and uh, colleges and schools and that sort of thing and uh why would this be controversial well the administrative state takes over and they've decided to do everything they want through this very simple uh statute and what has happened is they say that uh to to create a proper environment for women on campus you have to have certain uh, inquiries and protections against uh, harassment and other things. And again, nothing seems controversial about that, but then they make the regulations. And uh, Janine, what have they done and what have we said about it?
0: <laughs> well, one of the most troubling things that they've done is is to go back to Obama era regulations when it comes to to process protections. So in the Obama era, there have been really uh, Basically, the regulation said that in order to receive federal funding, universities and colleges had to um, make the when someone is accused of sexual assault, that the tribunals have very uh, low protections. So the accused often doesn't get to cross-examine his or her accuser. Um, the burden of proof is very low, preponderance of the evidence, which is sort of like 51 percent instead of clear and convincing evidence. Um, you don't necessarily have the right to know the allegations against you. So what this, I mean, we have due process protections for a reason, because uh, that's sort of how you have a fair outcome. Um, When someone doesn't even know what has been alleged, uh, they don't have a chance to cross-examine the accuser or witnesses to see if they're credible, to see if they have have ulterior motives or other motives to make this accusation, uh, it leads to a lot of unfair outcomes, as in in fact we've uh, seen in two of our cases. Um, So Obama had... um, promulgated those regulations. And under Trump, the Department of Education changed them to have um, greater protections for the accused, which uh, anybody who cares about due process and fairness in these proceedings should should be happy about. But for some reason, and despite the fact that courts have been saying these Obama-era regulations were uh, leading to really terrible outcomes, for some reason now Biden wants to go back. And and uh,
1: have one of the things that surprises me about this, we've had some cases and on the yeah. case on in and Second Circuit, uh, and that'll be remanded uh, to, for discovery now. Um, and in that case, a professor was accused of something, couldn't defend himself, and they say, and it's basically tough luck. You've been accused, buddy. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the end for you. Um, yeah. and, and so that's why due process, it's important that whatever you've been accused of, you've actually done. Mm-hmm. And if, if you don't get to defend yourself, uh, in a fair manner, you may not have done it. So the, the campus isn't being improved at all. What's happening is people who have done anything are being thrown off campus and,
0: and, uh, and without, with no recourse. Right. Uh, and that, that's a very interesting case. And, um, you know, one of the most disturbing ones, Professor Bangla was a professor of physics who was accused by a graduate student of um, sexual assault and a relationship, a romantic relationship, Um, Obviously, the assault would violate campus policy and uh, criminal law. (laughs) The romantic relationship also would have violated uh, campus policy. But there was really not very much evidence that either of these things had happened. And the student had, in fact, uh, been very bitter because she wasn't good at her job. She had quit sort of in a huff, uh, the lab work. And um, she had told people she was going to ruin his career out of revenge um you know this is stuff that That (laughs) if there's any fairness that didn't that didn't come in uh he wasn't allowed to present that evidence he had tons of faculty members and students saying that this girl had said uh, this woman had said terrible things behind his back racist things he was of indian descent she was white um and none of this came in and uh not to mention just a lot of exculpatory evidence or or evidence that pointed to his innocence and um they focused really on just her allegations, which were unsubstantiated, and his life was ruined. His career was ruined. His reputation was destroyed, um, and and that is that is the problem here.
1: And I, I think that um, it's it's there there's some sort of um, internal reason that they think that taking away these due process rights are uh, you know somehow going to help people, but it really um, you know, if, if if you're a person who's actually been harassed or something's happened, um, you want it to stand up. You don't want to uh, have people think that things happened like happened to Peglator. I mean, it, 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 it's just awful. So um, there's another thing that I've been noticing that I, I don't think these rules had anything in it. But I think there should be some protection against double jeopardy because what we're seeing, certainly we saw it in the Reed case, which yeah. is out of J.M., uh, James Madison, and I've also sought up at Princeton, is that uh, someone will be accused of something. They'll go through the process. The process will say, oh, he didn't do anything. Or they'll give him a small penalty, like uh, you know, 30 days suspension or, yeah. or training or something. And then later on, when he says something uh, controversial, they bring up the same claim again, yeah. and then they go back and punish him again. Yeah. There's no protection against that in colleges either. Yeah. They, it, it, once you've been tried and acquitted or or they've looked into the uh, um, the allegations and they've punished you for it, there's nothing stopping them from doing it again, it appears.
0: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's what happened to our client in Reed where she had been cleared. And then later on, another investigation commenced after the person who was supposedly the victim um, launched an allegation. In fact, the first investigation had not been because the, the other woman... Right. Um, made an allegation, it was someone else. Uh, Reed had been in a relationship right. with a student, who they were right. both women and right. lived together. And then uh, eventually when they broke up, the other woman sought revenge and made these allegations of which Reed had been cleared. Um, and again, she had really very minimal opportunity to defend herself or you know, cross-examine witnesses. Um, and her reputation in life were also destroyed. Yeah. It, it's, um... You know, people say, well, it's not
1: the government. Well, sometimes these colleges are public colleges, yeah. so it is the government. But particularly when the the government has made the rules, yeah. because you don't get federal funding. Yeah. If you don't comply with Title IX, there's no federal funding, and there's not a lot of colleges on that. that Operate without federal funding, but there's even not many that could. Yeah, and, and yeah. so uh, I think Harvard and Yale could probably squeak along without <laughs> it, uh, but uh, that's not true for most colleges, particularly if they want to take um, students from all walks of life. Right? Yeah, so uh, it, it's it, you know the other the other thing that I've noticed, and I don't know why they go back to this, is that there's a huge. Um, Problem, young men aren't going to college. So you go to these colleges, if they did, and I think there might even be some sort of discrimination going on against women because the same diversity rules that they're using, I think they may be letting in less qualified men mm-hmm. because of, of uh, who's applying. But I do think that it makes a um, litigious and hostile college uh, environment for everybody when you don't think the rules are going to be fair to you.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I mean, I understand, you know, what the motivation is, which is okay, we don't want to put uh, people who've been sexually assaulted through the ordeal of having to, you know, be cross examined and but unfortunately, it's just the reality that you have to do that in order to have a fair outcome. Um, And most allegations of sexual assault are likely true, but some are false, and some people do make these allegations in order to get back at a lover or somebody who they felt, who they felt wronged them in some way. Um, I think there's a lot of literature about, yeah. about those,
1: right? You know, but I, I do think that the, the other thing that goes on here, um, that, uh, that there's this idea that uh, people don't have to have uh, any courage or bravery to bring these things, but and unfortunately, all law requires somebody to testify right yeah. you have to say what happened to you and, yeah. and it's often very uh, traumatic to do it yeah and and um, it, our system of justice kind of requires it but I don't think that we always um, tell people that right yeah. I yeah. mean if you weren't a lawyer, where would we ever hear that uh, listen you you've got to go testify it's going to be upsetting you've got to, you know you've got to say your piece and they're going to get to question you. Um, I didn't learn that in school and like, right? So yeah. um, So these young people come into college, maybe they haven't heard that. But... Yeah,
0: yeah. And there are a lot of these, I mean, even people who aren't, you know, lying, uh, they're sometimes drunk, right. you know, lots of drinking uh, and misunderstandings. And maybe someone thought something was an assault, but really it was just two drunk people who don't remember anything and they were equally, equally drunk. And that's stuff that, you know, the accused should have the opportunity to bring out uh, in the proceedings. Right and and uh, memory loss is particularly if time has
1: passed. That's the other thing um, is why you sometimes have to look at things because you you often find that um, the timing somebody couldn't have even been there. Yeah, I've seen these cases where somebody was accused of something and they said, "Well, when was it?" And the Title IX investigators don't require the accuser to say when it happened. Yeah. Well, how how can <laughs> okay. you how can you say where you were? I mean. I was, I you know, the famous one. A, this famous uh, movies and books are always like, "Well, what's your alibi? And your alibi is, oh, I was with Joe. We we're down at the bar. We we're saw by millions of people, you know, tons yeah. of people, right? Yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't get that. You don't get that opportunity.
0: No. So what? What's the point of these
1: comments? What's going to happen with the
0: comments? Well, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Biden administration will look at them and see how much opposition there is to the to uh, changing the regulations back and actually diminishing the the, the protect, due process protections even more than they have been under uh, Obama. Um, if they don't do that, I suppose they will open themselves up to litigation. And, and what I the other thing is, I think they have to respond to all comments. Right? They yeah. have to at least say oh, yeah. what their view yes. is, yeah. um,
1: which is one of the. One of the points of comments uh we always and we can recommend that uh, everyone does we'll be right back okay. Welcome back to Administrative Stack. this is John Vecchioni, and uh, I want to talk about a brief that my um, colleague Greg Dolan uh, filed in the court in the Federal Circuit. This was an amicus curiae brief uh, in Darby Development Company, Inc. And um, we had to, we, we, I, the reason we, um, we don't do that much takings uh, matters here, we have One big case, the Gold King Mine case that Harriet Hageman is um, leading, which was uh, one where the uh, federal government uh, took over uh, uh, our client's property and contaminated it. This was the big uh, Gold King Mine spill, and then took over the processing plant to clean it uh, and built it on his land. And so... um, uh, Judge Bonilla, we spoke about this, I think, last week, might have been a week before that, uh, overruled all the government's arguments why that case should be dismissed. And uh, in a, in a, uh, he did it from the bench in, in a pretty thorough opinion. Uh, but the same judge, uh, Judge Bonilla, came out with an opinion against Darby Development Company uh, in, versus the United States. And this was uh, a number of uh, home providers, landlords, who there had been, um, because of the CDC eviction moratorium, were unable to evict tenants who then did not pay them the rents they were due. And they couldn't collect from the, from the, um, the renters, which, which the, none of the tenants could, could pay up, which was completely, completely foreseeable. And the reason it's foreseeable, we had a number of cases. We had Brown, we had a class action called Mossman. And all of our clients knew or that the people who were who were tenants, they'd signed documents in order to get the moratorium and, and not have to pay not not have have to be evicted that they were unable to pay. They they were not people who were going to be in a position to pay. Um, and the judge says, well, they might get jobs after the pandemic and all this. I'm going to let it go through. And you saw all kinds of statements like that when when they weren't enjoining this action, uh, when the courts weren't enjoining it. So um, one of the uh, plaintiffs in this case was a former client, but we uh, we, we, we were just friends of the court here because um, we didn't we don't have any current clients after all those cases ended. Um but the reason is because uh, Judge Bonilla, in a thorough uh, opinion, wrote primarily the reason that Darby Development Company and the other plaintiffs below, plaintiffs now appellants, could not um, recover as a takings. You know, this is the Constitution. There can be no taking of private property without due process of law or just compensation. So, uh, well, no, wasn't their property taken. They couldn't get into their property. They, one of the main um, bundles of property rights we're taught in property law uh, when you go to law school is um, that the, the right to exclude people from your property is one of the, the key things that property rights are made up of. Uh, it, 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 it's a, a longstanding um, attribute of having property is that you can exclude somebody from it, right? Um, just like uh, it's just, <laughs> the, one I, the way I always thought of it is that uh, you know uh, some families in front of the TV set, the kids say that's my chair, right? And uh, the father, yeah, you don't own it, but but yeah, people people feel that that's their chair because they always sit in it. But in in reality, a property right is when actually it is your chair and you can tell people whether they can sit in it or not so um so we put in a brief because i it was clear you know this is not a case where the judge just made stuff up judge Bunia did not do that his citations were to um various uh, court decisions that had emerged over the years um to protect the public fisc that what that means is is that if I'm a uh, if I'm a government administrator and I take a guy's property and I do it because I dislike the guy or I did it because I wanted to use it myself, uh, there was self dealing involved. Well, if uh, if if uh, an administrator goes rogue and does that and takes your property, but the but the government did not send him to do that, he wasn't doing what the government wanted him to do, doing it on his own behalf using government power. So the the idea of takings is, well, that's, we, we can't just have people taking the money from Congress and from the government for that sort of thing. It's got to be something that the government meant to do. So there's this idea in takings law, which I was, I have to say, I was unaware of until I saw uh, helping Greg uh, look at this, was that um, that Congress has to ratify it. There has to be some congressional buy in to the takings. And, uh, well, we put in a friend of the court brief. And the reason is because the CDC eviction moratorium was a full court press by all branches of the federal government. And we feel that um, it was not something that the federal government does all the time. I don't think, I hope not. Um, I, I think maybe we're seeing more and more of it in this age, but it isn't like all of the branches all altogether decide to go violate the law. That's not something you, or allow it to be violated. You, you, you sometimes see a bad executive do that. You sometimes see a court miss something and allow it. Uh, sometimes Congress uh, gets in a snit and, and, and fires off some kind of uh, rogue law that's quickly struck down. But you, you rarely have all the branches working in one direction uh, on something that it shouldn't be allowed. And and in this case, we did. We did see that. So Greg put in a brief um, and and it said um, very clearly that the executive branch, you know, issued the eviction moratorium. Well, first Congress. First thing, I'm going to do it by I'll split up by which branches did what the executive branch issued the it's a moratorium and then extended it. And it wasn't just one administration. It started on the Trump administration. The Biden administration continued it. Um, they stopped people from evicting people who hadn't paid rent eventually for years. Some people hadn't paid it for years. And they, ha- they stopped you from going into your state courthouse. The president and his executive orders and all of his agents did. Uh, unprecedented. You cannot go in to state courthouse and have your rights adjudicated in the state courts uh, as far as evictions go. It was unbelievable. Well, then you say, well, maybe that was just the president. Aha. Well, the first thing, Congress passed the first law saying that you couldn't have evictions if you take Title VIII uh, housing. So basically, if you if, you're, if your renters take uh, federal funds to pay their rent because they, they're below a certain income level or something like that, then you can't evict. And at least that's tied to federal funds. There's some reason for that. But still, that is uh, interfering with the property rights. Uh, But then very shortly after that, that that was kind of the basis for the president to say, yeah, I'll I'll do it for everybody, whether they take federal funds or not. And then when uh, President Trump uh, lost the election and he, there was no, they weren't going to extend the eviction moratorium, Congress passed a budget bill that said, well, for 30 days, we're going to extend, we, the CDC is allowed to extend its eviction moratorium. Well, that seems, uh, it's in a spending bill, sure, but it still seems like something Congress is doing. And they gave that 30 days because they knew that the Biden administration had said they'd extend it when they came in. And they came in and they extended it. So that was the branches working together <laughs> to make sure that that bundle of property rights was taken away from all the Darby plaintiffs. Um, so it wasn't like Congress was a bystander or everyone operating under this was not um, doing what 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 Congress wanted and what the president wanted and then finally, the judiciary. Uh, lord knows we tried to get the judiciary to stop this hey look this this is this is not in accordance with the statute cdc doesn't have this power uh you know this is absolutely unbelievable and it's not necessary all the rest of it and uh we've talked about those cases before on this show but um but they wouldn't listen they said things like oh no you you can get money damages we're not going to issue an injunction against this because you can always get money damages but we said wait a minute." That's not true for a bankrupt person. That's not true for the impecunious. And, and there are plenty of cases that saying if someone's going to go bankrupt, if you if that, that, that you don't have an rem, uh, adequate remedy at law. That's why you don't grant in, injunctions when there's not an adequate remedy at law. That means, basically, that means you can't get money damages from them. Um, and here, that, that wasn't going to work because these people were all impecunious and would be uh, operationally bankrupt. But the courts also said that, um, well, we're going to let it go. And, and, and famously, even Justice Kavanaugh, when he said, eh, it doesn't look too legal to me, but it's only three weeks of illegality. Right. I'm going to I don't think it'll come back. I'm not going to issue. I'm not going to allow the injunction to go forward um, because here, uh, Dabney, Judge Dabney Friedrich in D.C. actually did issue uh, an injunction but she stayed the enforcement of it during all the appeals so it went up to the supreme court twice but other courts around the country would not enjoin the eviction moratorium and so what happened for two years well a year year and a half um various landlords were not allowed to use their their property and they were basically supporting other people's housing without pay without any without any compensation at all and um So these plaintiffs all did not get compensation. There were, Congress did uh, provide certain funding uh, that was then run by the states, but that had a very sketchy uh, outcome because some of the states didn't care whether the renters used it to pay rent and they dispensed the money that never got to the landlords. Some states required uh, the landlords and the tenants to operate together and those worked better. Um, It was actually an interesting uh, federalism Analysis, which I have not seen done, but at least anecdotally, anecdotally, it seems that uh, some states uh, used that money uh, very well, and some did not. But these plaintiffs didn't d- were not made whole by any congressional action. So I hope that the uh, federal circuit reverses. And we'll be back.